Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Thanks, Dan. So the beginning of, of Mark's gospel invites us to listen in on a private conversation between God and an unknown figure. We hear God speaking to this figure, telling him, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Suddenly, Mark cuts away to a scene in the Judean desert where the identity of this messenger is revealed. We discover that his name is John, and it is he who will define himself in the words of Isaiah as a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make straight paths for him. Then with these words still ringing in our ears, we look up and there standing before us, waist deep in the river Jordan, is Jesus of Nazareth. Suddenly we realize that the unknown figure from that heavenly conversation is this ordinary looking man. He goes down into the water and as he resurfaces, the heavens are suddenly rent asunder or violently torn apart so that what had been an endless and impossible gulf between God and his people is now suddenly and irrevocably brought together. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. This was Isaiah's prayer and his deepest longing. For so long, life in Jerusalem had felt oppressively static. Every day was the same. History was frozen, or worse, caught in a spin cycle where one ruler after another would rise to power and quickly crumble in a heap of disappointments. The result was a city full of injustice. And as Isaiah cast his mind back to the story of the Exodus, he remembered the static world of Pharaoh's brickyards, which was suddenly interrupted when Yahweh tore open the heavens to come down and rescue his people. And as his mind wandered, this was the prayer that surfaced in him. Do it again, Lord. Make your name known. Cause the world to quake before you. Return to us again. As Emma said, Advent is a time of, of anticipation, of, of hopeful anticipation for the return of Jesus. It's um, hopeful because we know that he has come and has promised to come again. So on the one hand, the season of Advent invites us to celebrate that Isaiah's prayer 
which Dan read, um, that God would tear the fabric of heaven and return to his people, that's already happened. And yet, on the other hand, Advent reminds us that we continue to wait with joyful, patient expectation that he will do it again, um, this time once and for all. The first Advent revealed the nature of God in full clarity. When John declared that God is love, he articulated the most comprehensive and radical theological statement of all time. True love cannot remain indifferent to its beloved. True love can't turn away from suffering. True love has to become involved. And in this sense, the incarnation or you know, the arrival of Jesus um, sums up the question of just how far God's divine involvement in the suffering of the world has gone. And the answer is that God's involvement has been carried to the furthest possible extent. There's nowhere in creation where Jesus is not. Kalistos Weir put it this way, in his outgoing or ecstatic love, God unites himself to his creation in the closest of all possible unions by becoming that which he has created. Jesus didn't just become human, he became carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen. He entered into matter, into the human body, and he entered into time itself in order to redeem it all. But this redemptive work is ongoing. And Advent reminds us that we're also looking forward to the day when all of creation will be brought into conformity to his good and perfect will. Meditating on the return of Jesus might not be something we do very much. We might even be a bit hesitant to go there um, because it seems so strange, uh, strange to comprehend an event that, um, yeah, uh, maybe it even feels a little bit embarrassing about hoping for something that breaks from all the laws of nature and history. Um, maybe it feels a bit silly to have our hope in something like that. But, but if our hope is, is not in Jesus, then, then I guess where does it lie? Um, if it's not in him, then what is the end game that our lives are playing towards? The truth is that, that God is not very far from any of us. Um, even right now, in this moment, as we're all sitting here on Zoom, um, his spirit, which is like the budding of the age to come, is alive and growing within us. So this is why our hope, our, our Christian hope, is so categorically different from optimism, the optimism of the world. Our, our hope is not dependent on the resources available to us. In many ways, our world still resembles Isaiah's Jerusalem. So much is broken and so much is out of control. And even the, the very best and brightest, smartest people in the world seem unable to, to be able to put it back together. 
So the facts on the ground don't look good, yet we are not dismayed because we know that our hope lies beyond us. Our hope lies in the creator of all things, in Jesus himself. So as we move toward the 25th of December, where we mark that glorious hinge point of history when God entered into our world, let's celebrate the hope that he's given us and let's experience his presence with us even right now um, as we wait for the day which is fast approaching when we will stand before him face to face.